Welcome to Backyard Philosophy, a podcast where a couple friends grab some cold ones, sit around the fire, and talk about science, philosophy, and history. Crack one open, sit back, and get a good laugh as we discuss everything from automation to why the meaning of life is 42. talk a little bit about just mention this briefly cation exchange capacity so soils hold and release different compounds and elements that are essential for plants um, there's cations which are positively charged particles it's like calcium magnesium potassium and sodium each time each part of your soil that has a negative side they can only bond to a positive side right negative and positives so clays tend to be more negative which increases their cation exchange capacity. Because of that, they can store more minerals, more nutrients that these plants need. Sandy soils have low cation exchange, tend not to be able to store as much minerals, which we kind of know intuitively, right? If you're going to grow corn, are you going to plant it in this kind of wetter, clay, darker soil or sand? Now, we know that we don't want to plant it in sand because it's not good at storing water, but you can also kind of tell there's not a lot of nutrients in sand, right? Like it's just sand. I would say also the structure. Sand's loose. Like you said, Nick, it's uh, kind of smoothish compared to porous clay. So things don't grab a hold and might make something that grows, such as a tree, kind of fall over or have to grow the roots super deep in order to withstand any winds or just grab a hold in that loose sandy soil. Yeah, exactly. So hummus and clay play an important part in your cation exchange capacity. So the more organic matter, the more nutrients you're going to have. And cation exchange capacity is just a measure of, you know, how essentially how fertile your soil is, how many nutrients it can hold. Kind of playing into that, not really getting into it, just something that people, it's kind of interesting, people should know, is that just like everything, soil has a pH. You know, is it acidic? Is it basic? Different plants prefer different levels of pH. Most plants prefer a 7, which is in the middle. Some plants prefer more acidic soils and some plants more basic soils. This is important for when we talk about additives, inputs to people's soil for farming and matters like that. Do you want to get your pH where whatever your crop, target crop, wants it? You can add sulfur to lower the pH and you can add lime to raise the pH. So you'll hear, it's more common that I hear people talk about liming the soil and that's raising the pH, but that's what why they're doing that. Now, by lime, do you mean limestone? I think that most people I know apply it in kind of like a liquid. Well, I was just wondering where that lime comes from. Is it from the actual fruit, or is it from another rock and mineral? No, I believe it's from limestone, like a mineral source. Not entirely sure, but I believe limestone. I was just curious. Yep. So now we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, bacteria and fungus, fungi, they're going to call them, really the unsung heroes of soil. So bacteria live in everything, including soil. Bacteria are about four hundred thousandths of an inch wide. So if you took a teaspoon of quote unquote fertile soil, you'll have between 100 million and 1 million different bacteria in that teaspoon alone. Jesus. Yep, and that's what you're putting in your mouth each time you eat dirt. Kids, don't eat dirt, please. 
So most bacteria are decomposers, so they're converting organic matter into usable forms for plants. Other bacteria are mutualist, and they form a symbiotic relationship with plants. So like one of my favorite is fungi, uh, mycorrhizae, they are in a symbiotic relationship with pretty much every plant root. Um, and what they do is they, they're a lot smaller than roots, right? So they attach to the outside of the roots, and they grow very small strands you know, it's easier for them to grow these smaller strands and go in and out of these smaller holes that are inside all the soil. And they can find whatever the plant needs, mostly nutrients and occasionally water. But what they do in exchange is they bring that in, they give that to the plant. Just they, they give it to the plant and in return, the plant generates sugar to feed itself. Any excess sugar, it sends to the, its roots and releases it for the mycorrhiza. And the mycorrhiza form these huge colonies that can spread from different plants you know, so if you have a, a field of grass, right, you could have like just a few colonies of mycorrhiza, but they're, each of those colonies is connected to hundreds of thousands of individual grass plants. Well, that's a nice symbiotic relationship. Yeah, and it and they're a lot smaller, so they're more efficient because each to absorb nutrients, a plant root has to directly touch that nutrient that wants to absorb. So, eat anywhere new it wants to go, it has to grow. They grow. They call them feeler roots, little roots that go out. They kind of just sense what nutrients are there, decide if it's worth sending an actual like sucker or another root to go out and collect all that nutrients, or just to keep moving out wherever it wants to go. This way, instead of Use going through all the energy to do that and create these elaborate root systems. These are just much smaller, the same thing essentially, just smaller scale. So they need less resources. They can run out and get all the stuff they need and they get sugar in return. It's like outsourcing a part almost, having a uh, contractor to find out where you should dig. Yeah. And this is what I brought up in the Mars podcast when we talked about one of the challenges of living on Mars is that Douglas fir, tree species in the Western United States, they tried to grow it in somewhere in South America. I can't remember exactly what country. Same exact climate. There's no difference besides that there's no predators of Douglas fir where it was trying to grow. And it'd grow like seven years and then die. And what happened was it didn't have the mycorrhiza that specifically is adapted to that Douglas fir. There was mycorrhiza rise in the soil for all the other plants but they hadn't developed a specific symbiotic relationship with douglas fir yet and so there was no root structure there's no mycorrhiza on that douglas fir root structure and so it just didn't do as well as it should have done they brought soil samples from out west dropped it in there and the trees grew fine but each of these mycorrhiza is for the most part there's generalist but specifically adapted to a certain plant they've grown together for hundreds and thousands of years that they can only grow with each other for the most part some of these are very specific mutual relationships you can't fit a round peg through a square hole yeah finally pathogens is another another one of the four bacteria that live in the soil there's a lot of soil active pathogens so just think like uh, nothing i don't think anyone would, would really know they're funguses like uh i forget what's called it's like a, like a omocyte that they think is responsible for a sudden oak death in California spreads kind of through water and soil. So not everything in the soil is good. Then the fourth kind of organism that live in the soil, bacteria, fungi, not insects, are lithotrophs or chemototrophs. And what those do is they break down some of the uh, inorganic materials. So like your rocks and stuff, they're going to break those down into a form that's actually usable by plants. Oh, that's nice. Kind of having a middleman for the plants. 
Yeah. And this is something, not to go back to Mars again, but it's going to be essential on Mars with little organic matter to get all that mineral, essential mineral, and uh, that plants need and break them down and turn into something that plants can actually use. I'm going to take a quick little detour into uh, what do plants need. So plants need, they have 16, 17, depending who you ask, essential plant nutrients. And they come in a few different forms. In mineral form, you need hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon. I mean, carbon shouldn't surprise anybody. We've been hearing that for years. Wait, what? Carbon-based life forms need carbon? Yep, we got to get it from somewhere. Um, your macronutrients, so these are your uh, what's needed in higher quantities. Nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. These are the big three for fertilizers, N, P, and K. Pretty much every fertilizer is going to have these three in different quali- quantities depending on what you need. You know, when you go and buy miracle Grow at the store, it's a lot of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, maybe some secondary macronutrients. So your secondary macronutrients, calcium, magnesium, and sulfur, and your micronutrients. Now these are interesting. These are ones that you don't, plants don't really need these in large quantities, but they also can't live without them. Boron, copper, iron, chloride, manganese, molybdenum. Mul- Mike, help me out with this. Molybdenum. Are you asking the man who can't pronounce any English words to help you pronounce a scientific word? Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And I thought I was the dumb one. That and zinc. <laughs> Good old-fashioned zinc. So to make this list, and this isn't to say every plant needs these. This is to make this list, you have to meet the following criteria. The, the plant cannot complete its life cycle without it. So it needs to be able to grow from a seed and sprout new seeds or however it reproduces. The elements function cannot be replaced by another element. So you can't change out potassium for something else. You, you need potassium. And the element is directly involved in the plant's growth and reproduction, and most plants need this to survive. And certain plants are going to need special elements. So just because I said these are the essential ones, maybe like sword fern needs um, whatever, like some mineral that I didn't mention, and it can't live without it. But pretty much every other plant can. So there's really, it's a case-by-case basis, but the majority of plants need these. So to talk a little bit about what each of these, where they come from and what they do. So carbon comes from air. They take that in through in the process of photosynthesis, right? Hydrogen comes from water. Oxygen comes from air and water. Nitrogen comes from the air and soil. And every other element comes from the soil. So nitrogen affects plant metabolism. But nitrogen is important for everything. It affects everything from plant metabolism to chlorophyll. Um, phosphorus is important for energy storage and transfer. Potassium uh, is, is really more of a helps helps every other reaction occur, but deficiency in potassium causes a malfunction of stomata, which is opening and closing releasing of gas, which is also bad. Um, it's also important for creating ATP uh, for photosynthesis, so adenosine triphosphate. It's just one of the compounds that you need, plants need in order to go through the photosynthesis cycle and make energy. Calcium, it's important for plants too. It's not just for healthy bones. It helps cell division and it promotes early root development. Iron helps in chlorophyll formation. So boron helps in the absorption of nitrogen. So you can have excess nitrogen way more than your plant could ever use. But if you don't have boron there, then it can't take up that nitrogen. So you have all this nitrogen and you can continually add nitrogen to the soil, but it's not going to do anything without boron. 
Out of curiosity, Nick, does nitrogen, nitrogen fertilizer have boron in it, or is it just nitrogen? You would have to look at the label. You can get uh, that's fair fertilizer with boron in it, and each mineral micronutrient is going to cost more or less. Um, for the most part, if you're just buying like a generic fertilizer, don't know if it will have boron. But if you know you need boron, so like if you're growing a crop and they do a soil test and determine that you're lacking boron, then you can go and put that down and request that fertilizer. For your average gardener growing something at home, that's not something you're probably going to do. I mean, you could be interesting, you know, figure out exactly what you need. And that way you're, say you are deficient in boron and you're trying to get your plants to grow and you just keep adding miracle grow and it's not working. Well, now you can to know and that's something that they do in agriculture where they'll take like a field sample they'll look at it with near infrared and determine which areas are deficient in what that takes different soil samples from those and then they can create like a custom uh, map and apply different fertilizers in different areas depending on what they need which reduces the amount of fertilizer applied and applies it more selectively so you're getting more bang for your buck and not just applying a bunch of nitrogen when you may or may not need it always smart to use your resources smartly Yep. And so what I talked about is kind of the, is called the law of minimum. So like you said, if you have a bunch of nitrogen, but no boron, you're limited by your limiting nutrient. And you're always going to be limited by something, whether it be nutrients or water. You can't just give a plant everything unless you're only treating that one specific plant. So if you imagine like a whiskey barrel and you, you take the top off and you're filling up with water and each of the outsides of the barrel, there's a essential micronutrient and water and uh, each of those staves however much you have in your soil so if you have a ton of nitrogen and that side of the barrel goes all the way up then you know you're not limited to nitrogen but if you you're deficient in boron and it only goes about halfway up well there's nothing you can do no matter how much water you add you can only fill that barrel up halfway so you're not you're not going to get the full productivity you could until you add more boron to bring that plank up higher so you can hold more water and that's kind of how growing plants work you're limited by whatever is your limiting nutrient no matter you can have you know planks that go 40 feet high for everything except for one and it doesn't matter you can you can't put 40 feet of water in there no matter how much you try all comes back to trying to shove a round peg through a square hole doesn't it nick and here's the other thing about nutrient uptake in plants. It's time dependent too. So uh, you're gonna a plant's gonna need different nutrients in the spring than in the fall. Then uh, you know when in the springtime when it's flushing out and it's flowering, and then later when it produces seeds, those are different parts of the life cycle. It's gonna need different nutrients at different times. So even if you know exactly what your plant needs, maybe it's already past the point. So what is it? What, what there's really no point in applying that because no matter how much you add now it's already past that phase of the life cycle um, so, and you can apply late season fertilizer uh, to increase your seed quality and, and yield and stuff for for different plants but it might not make them grow as much if you applied it earlier in the season out of curiosity kind of bringing it back to soil do does soil have seasons because obviously if you have a four season you know summer spring fall and winter does soil continue to i guess move around during the winter is because soil is just it's not just minerals it's also bacteria burrowing animals microisms it's a whole ecosystem so uh, it does soil have seasons i guess is my question well soil is like kind of like a living organism right so in the winter all that organic material 
the bacteria it's it's kind of shut down for the most most of the time you know there's bacteria that lives in very cold conditions but they don't really do much and i mean if even if they survive off a host right your host's not doing anything in the winter they're dormant so you're not really doing anything but at the same time animals are dying leaves are decaying so i don't know if i'd say that they have seasons but I, they are impacted by everything else right so in the in the midwest when the leaves fall in the winter that just adds organic matter to the soil then it freezes and then there's a bunch of rain that kind of speed helps with decomposition i don't know if i'd say they have seasons but they are impacted by the seasons i guess i don't know if, does that make sense or no it, it does if um you're in hot production and all of a sudden uh the demand or the supplies run down you kind of go down into uh lean production so it, it make it, it makes sense that you're not getting as much organic material during the winter so you slow down in your process and you're using less energy to do so that makes sense yeah so soil like we talked about decomposition of organic matter so leaves and plants it's also important for like you know the water cycle water comes to the soil gets cleaned out right soil does this impacts most chemical cycles that we have from the nitrogen cycle nitrogen in the air gets fixed by bacteria in the soil and these bacteria um these rhizobia is what they're called they attach uh, to legumes, the roots of the legumes, and they fix nitrogen. You can actually see them if you dig up these legumes. You can look and see these big, weird, these weird things growing on the roots. That's not part of the root structure. That's rhizobia fixing in a symbiotic relationship, fixing nitrogen for the plants, which add it to the plants and just is another part of the nitrogen cycle. Are you trying to say legumes? Legumes? What I say? Legumes? I don't. I'm not quite sure what you were you you were saying. No, I don't know. Oh, I love this. Nick is the one messing up, not me. I'll just say soybeans, right? No, you keep saying that the way you were saying it to make me feel better. All right. So nitrogen cycle, similar to phosphorus cycle and carbon cycle, the soil is one of the main, I wouldn't say main, everything is important, but it is an important part of all of those cycles. A keystone. And the bacteria, yeah, and the bacteria in the soil facilitate all that. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram 